Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Corbett, your host, and with me is none other than Mr. Brandon Noway. How you doing today, Brandon? I'm doing really good, Mark. How about you? I am doing fantastic, man. Think about it. Here we are, just a hint more than a month away from spring training. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about this show this week. we got a lot of good things to talk about. I mean, for one, we will talk about spring training. The hot stove has been cooking, I think, a little hotter than usual. Minor leagues and lawsuits, that'll be there. And our discussion about Jared. And I'm talking about the Mets and how Cohen made the right call. All right, but kind of t- starting out with spring training here, Brandon. What do we got, man? What What do you see? What fe- What's it, uh, February 27th? Is that the first date out? That's what, it looking like the target date around that time. Of course, they're looking to do, you know, the more normal season this year, or as normal as we could possibly have it. It's, ex- it's expected to be 162 games, but that could change literally any day, any minute, to be honest. And some people are pushing for a mid-May start date. So, you know, more players have a chance to get a vaccine and they can come up with, you know, safer conditions. But MLB can't decide on or they can't agree on (laughs) on. anything really. So (laughs) it looks like they're going to go with the normal season to start out. Can't decide on or can't agree on. I I think both of those are, are probably accurate. And, I mean, for one thing, you've got MLB and then you've got the Players Association. So they both have to come together and find a consensus on what's going to be safe and something that's going to make sense for both as far as the number of games. So I respect that. But as fans, we're sitting here saying, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? There are so many variables. And with all the nastiness with COVID, there, there's just no telling. And But I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to this February 27th spring training date. And I'm curious too, Brandon, to see how that's going to roll out. Because usually you've got so many teams that are floating out to Arizona and then a great deal also coming to Florida where they play and do their spring training and the games are there. So I am really curious to see how, if any, of those games – are made available, you know, to the public. Can can anybody come? Will it, will press be able to come? I, I don't know. So, I think still MLB is waiting to see how things fall out with the vaccine. Yeah, there is. It looks like they are trying to have fans in the stadiums to start the year. Of course, it depends on you know the situation in each city because each city is different, and they're looking to doing the same thing they. They did during the World Series, you know, a limited crowd. They have to wear masks and they're doing tickets in different pods, so to speak. So we know here locally the Rays are looking to have fans and I haven't heard anybody else. Of course, I haven't really looked much, but it's probably going to be like most of the other sports where it just depends on the city and its situation at the moment. Unless we forget, because that's a good point, the city of Toronto. <laughs> I mean, where were these guys? Are they going to be in Buffalo this year? Are the Blue Jays going to be there? I don't don't know. I mean, um, and if they're playing this year, will they be able to crisscross and back and forth across the border between the United States and Canada? Are they going to be there again? Was it Salinger Field? Yeah, I haven't seen anything on that. Of course, the NHL, they have more Canadian teams up there. They have their own division of Canadian teams because they don't want to cross the border right now, so... They may move the Blue Jays to Buffalo again or perhaps somewhere else. But I haven't seen anything on that yet. And 
hopefully we do soon because we really don't have that much time. No, no, we don't. And you're very, very much on point with that. I'm really curious to see you know, what Canada will allow them to do. Of course, you know, we could just move to Montreal and watch another team in a few years. <laughs> but sorry for Tampa. We'll, we'll get back to them another time on a, another episode. But there's there's a lot been going on with that, and I'm curious to see about that, how that season's you know, progressing. I'm hearing things like a, a certain percentage of people will be allowed to come. I'm curious to see what, if any, kind of plexiglass shields they may put up and uh, have people sit in pods. I'm hearing, yeah, we have two people here, four people there in little groups. I'm not sure. We'll see what happens. Continuing on after spring training, I would like to talk a little bit about the hot stove because, Brandon, it has been cooking. I mean, it seems like some weeks you and I might as well be looking across the table with absolutely nothing happening. And this week, there seems to be a little bit more activity. I, I, we've been tired about hearing about some of these play, players. When, oh, when's somebody going to make a decision with LeMayhew? What's happening with Springer, et cetera? So what can you tell me, man? What's going on with the hot stove? Well, we can finally bust out those chef hats because it's, it's finally cooking. It's not on a slow burn. <laughs> we'll start in New York. The Yankees, who signed Corey Kluber to a one-year, $11 million deal. He was among the best pitchers in 2018 but he only pitched one inning last year and 35 and two-thirds innings in 2019. DJ LeMayhew, he re-signed with the Yankees at six years, $90 million, which was pretty much a steal. We also had a three-team trade between the Pirates, Padres, and the Mets. The Pirates traded right-handed pitcher Joe Musgrove to San Diego, and the Pirates received righty David Bednar, Hudson Head, righty Drake Fellows, and catcher outfielder Andy Rodriguez, while the Mets close it out with receiving left-handed pitcher Joey Lucchesi. That's good enough. (laughs) John Lester, he signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. Tyler Chatwood, he reportedly signed a one-year deal with the Blue Jays. That was reported by Keegan Matheson of MLB.com. Also signing Kirby Yates to a one-year Five and a half guaranteed, four and a half million in bonuses. That was reported by Ken Rosenthal. And their big signing came late Tuesday night with George Springer signing a six-year, $150 million deal with the Blue Jays. That was reported by John Heyman. And the Blue Jays might not be done, as they could also pursue Michael Brantley Jr., who is friends with uh, Springer and is also represented by the same agency. Wow. I can't even begin to imagine that part of it. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead with the rest, but that that's just nuts to me, seeing the Blue Jays being very aggressive. Yeah, they're, they're going all in. And going back to the Nationals, they signed catcher Kurt Suzuki to a one-year deal. The Phillies signed relief pitcher Archie Bradley to a one-year deal. And the Houston Astros signed a two-year deal with reliever Pedro Baez. Heading to the rumor mill quick, Philly has reportedly offered a contract to JT Riomuto. Jason Stark of The Athletic reports it to be five years, $100 million, <laughs> and has said that Riomuto's camp has asked for as high as $200 million in these negotiations. I wonder if that would be for like a, a five-year deal as well, if they're looking at what would that be, $40 million a year? 
uh, or if there's something else. I'm curious that 200 million, what that's uh, associated with, what kind of number of years of with the uh, with the Phillies. Yeah, that'd be definitely something to something to learn. Going back to the Yankees, they allegedly tried to trade for pitcher Luis Castillo from the Reds, but the Reds were asking for Glaber Torres as part of the return. Mm. And Reds GM Nick Crowell said that Castillo on his way to the Yankees were false. And but Heyman reported that they tested the waters for a trade, but intended to hold on to him. Masahiro Tanaka. He still remains unsigned, and he has a good chance to sign elsewhere, but he also has strong interest in returning to Japan from teams out there. And that was reported by John Heyman, so that's something worth watching, as the Yankees don't have a whole lot of starting pitchers, as they could be losing three of them, including Tanaka, this offseason. And lastly, it is more likely than not that Andrew Benintendi remains with the Red Sox, as it was reported earlier this offseason, that the Red Sox were exploring trades with him but they never really got serious with that. Yeah, I've been wanting to see what's going to happen with Boston, with High and Bloom up there now making the calls. And just because, you know, last year it was just a tragedy to see what they what happened in the year. They have suffered so much, I'm not sure what it's going to take to bring them back. I, I am interested in hearing what you said about Tanaka. You know, Tanaka, he's he's been a force as a Yankees pitcher. And... I guess maybe his age is catching up with him. Maybe being back to the old hometown in Japan has has a certain appeal for him. But he's he's done pretty good. Uh, I didn't like him sometimes when he pitched against the Rays and <laughs> hitting my good buddy Joey Wendell. Uh, but that's that's that. I mean, it's interesting to see this activity this week. Uh, were any of these something that just knocked you down and said, wow, I was really surprised that he signed for that? Um, none of them really surprised me. I was kind of surprised that George Springer signed with the Blue Jays because, I mean, the Blue Jays, they've never really been like a big free agent destination, it feels like. But it feels like, you know, things are changing. They have that young core. We, You and I both agree they're going to be really good for years to come. And now getting a guy like George Springer and maybe a guy like Michael Brantley Jr., this team could be <laughs> good for even longer, maybe contending for World Series year in and year out. Wouldn't that be something to see how they play out in the AL East this year? Because, uh, you know, the Yankees are there looking strong. They actually did sign LeMayhew. And that in itself, I, I was surprised. I thought LeMayhew, he would generate a bigger price tag than he did. But, they, you know, they got him for six years for $90 million. But the AL East should be very interesting. The Rays are still in transition. I don't know what they're going to look like. By the, <laughs> I don't even know if they know what they're going to look I like. Don't, yeah, so there's a lot going there. But the, the Blue Jays, to me – Toronto is going to be one of the most interesting teams, I think, to watch over the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. It's something worth watching. Anything else you got, Brandon, on the hot stove? No, it, it looks like it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn down here a little bit more and calm down and be ready to serve up soon. Yeah, like I said, this, uh, this definitely was a, a busy, busy week. And as far as teams and busy weeks, one team who has been hit by a scandal time and time again is our good friend, the Astros. And you think when you heard the last of it from everything from banging trash cans to Garrett Cole and sticky stuff, <laughs> and now we're finding out one of their former minor league teams is sick and tired of it. And what they're sick and tired of is basically, well, the Astros disposed of them. So, uh, the team is the Tri-City Valley Cats, 
and they are digging in. They are suing. Breach of fiduciary duty and tortious interference. Would you say that one more time? It looks like they're suing for a breach of fiduciary duty and tortious interference. Oh, man, it just, <laughs> that sounds like it would hurt. I don't even know what any of that means, but it, it does sound pretty cool. Yeah, well, you know, the story you were telling me a, a little bit about, it's, it was kind of a sad thing because in the midst of this year, MLB has said to all 162, excuse me, all 160 minor league teams, guess what, guys, there's going to be some change. At the end of the day, there's only going to be 120 teams. And then we come to find out that of those 160, they weren't going to be all of the 120 teams. By that, I mean they cut more than just down to 120. It's more like 118 or more because they brought in a couple of teams from other leagues. And what happened with the Valley Cats was very, very sad. And it happened at a difficult time for, I believe, the owner. Do you you have that story? Ah, here it is. The the Manfred email. The correspondence between the Valley Cats and MLB wasn't as pleasant or as politely personal as I think a lot of us would have seen. Do you have something about how that communique went back and forth? The team was purchased by Bill Gladstone, and the Gladstone family still owns that team to this day. And Doug Gladstone, his son is the owner now and unfortunately last april bill gladstone passed away and that was mentioned in the valley cats complaint and part of their intimidation tactics to where everybody's favorite commissioner bobby manfred emailed gladstone his condolences in an email on you know his his dad passing away right and in that same email he kind of put in a veiled threat that any public statement about MLB's contractions would be, quote, unwise. Oh, 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 geez. Sorry about your dad. And hey, guess what? You better go ahead and tell the line. Ouch. Ouch. That's, that's like something you'd hear in like House of Cards or something. Something like that. Not minor league baseball. No, I mean, that's that's just nuts. It's just absolutely nuts. That's the that's kind of behavior. It, it's gone beyond anything like that. I'm sure MLB has an explanation for this, but whatever it may be, I can't see that it was a wise decision to send an email like that or a text, especially after you think all that MLB has been through in the last year when they were going ahead and doing some of their initial bargaining last year with the Players Association to figure out what's going on with COVID, et cetera. And then they were also some of the things they did with uh, minor league baseball overall and minor league baseball leaked out some of the communiques that kind of embarrassed Manfred and MLB. You would think they'd be very selective about what they have to say to any of these folks. And I was also seeing what this isn't unique. They've, they've also had difficulties with other teams. I mean, we've talked about the Fresno Grizzlies and how they got demoted and NDAs are involved. And then what? Also, uh, there's another lawsuit, I think, from Staten Island Yankees. Yeah, the Staten Island Yankees, who they found out over Twitter that they were losing their affiliation with the Yankees. They're suing both the Yankees and MLB as well for the same reasons. Uh, there's so much more of this. And Brandon, you know, we've talked about this before. There's there's so much with the minor leagues that just has gotten lost with all the terrible things going on with covid and the focus being on 
major league, what kind of season they were going to have in 2020, that the whole idea of cutting minor league teams down to 120 teams and how that process was played out, you know, got, got lost in the media. You know, it was it was one of those things that wasn't a topic that, that floated to the, you know, up there at the very top. We're going to do more on this. You know, we're, we may have a special series just on minor leagues because their story needs to be told. And to me, minor leagues are just as important, if not more important, to fans of baseball. They are more important because they hit so many communities across the U.S. And I want to tell more about their story in, in future uh, episodes of Baseball Biz. Yeah, and this was something when we first met before a certain virus was going around the world that was being talked about and nobody was writing stories about it. No, nobody was giving it any, any coverage. And now when they put it out there, it just seems like, oh, it's a casualty of the virus and financial cuts, but it really hasn't been. It's been kind of like a convenient excuse. Yeah. And it's something that like this, of a league is getting sued by a minor league team that they cut. You think that should be a bigger story than it is. Certainly. I mean, you're going to see it appear up here. Uh, they, they may have something on ESPN, but it gets lost. You know, is it the fifth story down the row uh, of what you're going to see there? You know, you will see something in the community newspapers on this, the community television stations. But after that, no. And it quickly dissolves. There's so much other activity, you know, just like us reporting on, on the, on the whole piece of what happened recently with, with the hot stove. And, and here's another thing that we're talking about bad behavior and making unwise wise decisions and kind of segue into some bad behavior that happened with Jared Porter kind of jumping here a bit. Is there anything else you want to say about minor leagues? No, I think we, we covered it all that we, how we possibly could for this week without diving in more. Yeah, and we'll do that. We'll do that in future episodes of uh, Baseball Biz with a focus on the minors. But right now, like I said, I want to look at some some other uh, bad decisions that were made, some much more than just a bad decisions, some despicable activity. And that came from Mr. Jared Porter. Maybe I should just drop the Mr. Just Jared Porter. Baseball Biz post-production notes. Some years ago, after producing the show, I realized we need to give a little more context to the Jared Porter discussion. I would recommend to our listeners that they read the ESPN article by Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan. The article details how in 2016, Porter, who worked for the Chicago Cubs, had sent unsolicited text and an image of his penis to a female foreign sports reporter. Recently, Porter had accepted the position of general manager to the New York Mets. ESPN had reports of the story in 2017, but not until recently did the female reporter give ESPN her permission to tell her story of Jared's behavior. This was in part in fear of retribution. ESPN broke the story Monday night, and Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, took action by early Tuesday morning. This is the topic of Brandon's and my discussion on Jared Porter. Some years ago, where he had a text conversation with a female reporter, and he sent her sent her some photos of himself that you know he displayed his his 
penis. And none of this was invited. I look at this, Brandon, and I, I don't know about you. I get, I get sick to my stomach to think that somebody like this fella, anybody, would pursue this kind of activity with another person. Yeah, it's honestly just, just disgusting, to be honest. Not only was it unsolicited, but it, you also can't take a hint. He sent, like, I believe it was like 60 straight messages to her over text, and she wasn't responding. So he thought the thing to get her to respond was to send a picture of you naked. I mean, I, I don't get it, but to be completely honest. It still confuses me why that would cross your mind. Yeah, it, that's, that's completely insane. And you think that somebody, that this is part of their psyche, can rise up into an organization like he did. I, I'm going to go ahead. I, I kind of wrote a bit of an editorial here. We're going to go into it. You know, I, I said how he has uh, Jared Porter's oppressive and disgusting behaviors. It's unfortunate reality that in several male-dominated businesses that women are, were not recognized for their accomplishments but are treated as second-class citizens. You know, they're not allowed to climb to higher positions. You know, while this sexism is despicable, it is not unique. You know, remarks by men about women in businesses have been demeaning and verbally abusive. You know, these, these kind of remarks are fostered by an all-male club fraternity locker room language mentality. And that mentality has definitely permeated offices everywhere. You know, we look at these remarks and attitude. I mean, they could incubate and devolve into direct verbal and physical abuse to women. And that's the case with Jared Porter. I mean, just as we talked about his behavior and texting unsolicited photos of himself and to a female reporter. I mean, there is no room for this. I mean, just ask the new Mets owner, Steve Cohen. We're looking at this, and there's, there's an attitude that if you go along to get along, and that has kind of kept women and a lot of people silent for a long time. I mean, it's, it's nowhere more apparent than in baseball. I mean, it should not be tolerated, period. In this week in Athletic, I was really interested in hearing, too, that, see, the author was Brittany Giroli. I apologize. And the heading of the story, you should definitely look this up, folks, if you have it. It's, quote, be nice for female reporters. It can feel like there's no other choice. And Brittany in this, she recounts her personal experience when she was working with the Orioles and they were advancing. It was uh, several years ago. And what she said is that a player who had been very helpful to her as far as giving her leads and new stories about entries, injuries and, and that sort of thing, or roster changes in advance, he called her in when they were in Dallas and said, hey, come on over. I've got this information I want to give you. But I, and she said, okay. So she figured he didn't want to be out in the lobby in front of everybody else. And so she got there and goes up to his room, opens the door, He's got some romantic music playing with Drake. He's He's got the room is dark and candles are on, and he approaches her. And she says, wait a minute. She goes, what What on earth would ever give you the idea that I'm into you? And his answer was, because you were nice to me. <sighs> I mean, are you an idiot? It's It's necessary for reporters to cultivate a positive professional relationship with their front office, managers, office, coaches, and players to ensure that they can get the story and news for the readers. I mean, ideally, those in the business will recognize that a positive professional relationship is just that. It should be a professional relationship. And those who don't, those who don't respect women, and 
actions must be taken. Often when they're taken, it's too late. I mean, in this case, <laughs> it was like four or five years ago. You know, they, the actions are buried in silence as victims fear retribution and the possibility of being ostracized from their sources. Many times, these offenses that we were seeing are not brought to light until later. The, the reporter who had been victimized felt threatened if she'd shared what happened. And since then, she left her career as a sports journalist is no longer in the U.S. Years later, and only when she saw Jared Reporter's, excuse me, Jared Porter's ascent to the Mets, did she feel like she could safely speak out. You know, what happened is, like late Monday evening, ESPN reported on Jared Porter's behavior, and by 7.55 the next morning, Tuesday, Steve Cohen acted swiftly and announced to the world that Jared Porter was no longer part of the Mets organization. He made it clear and concise in a tweet. Quote, we have terminated Jared Porter this morning. In my initial prof press conference, I spoke about the importance of integrity, and I meant it. There should be zero tolerance for this type of behavior. I mean, that, that covers it, doesn't it? I mean, the, the thing I got to ask, Brandon, is where do they go from here? You know, I mean, uh, not, not I don't mean just the Mets. I mean virtually every business, but in, in Major League best Baseball, what do you have, better vetting of the, the management staff? Do you give reparations to those who have been victimized in the past? What what should that even look like? And what steps are you taking to change or, quote, cancel the culture that incubates such behavior? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I say you can find them and everything else, and but financial pain is not the motive. Financial pain is not a motivation for change. You know, ch changes should be advanced from a spirit of humanity, a respect for all, an understanding of what a professional relationship would be. Yeah, that's the way change should be. But unfortunately, sometimes it's made, you know, because of financially, it's better for them. And I don't know if there's really a great way to prevent this from happening, to be completely honest. Like, they were interviewing in the press conference yesterday after they fired them they asked you know we we vetted everybody they had glowing remarks of him and they said did you interview any women and they were like no and you know they could have interviewed more people you know from both sides but that still may not have prevented this situation because from what it sounds like only one other person knew what was going on in the entire organization. So even if they interviewed other women, I don't know. Maybe he did more. I, I don't know, to be completely honest. I don't want to put put it out there that he, he did more, to be honest. it's I just don't know. Well, it's not surprisingly, if, if a person thinks it's you know okay to do in one case, they would probably, if they found another opportunity to do the same. You know, and there's you and I have seen in the past, uh, um, I mean, <laughs> What we'll draw from the past with Bill Cosby, you know, one what one lady comes out, and then suddenly there's another and another and another, you know, who experienced similar abuse, and I wouldn't be surprised either. But by the same token, for those other women to feel comfortable to come out, somebody had to start that. Somebody had to say something, and without that first person saying something, nothing happens. But as I was saying earlier. Look at what's at stake for them. One, will they be believed? You know, two, if they are in a professional relationship with the organization, 
you know, what happens to them in that career. In this case, the lady felt like she could no longer be a sports journalist and actually went back to her home country. And it's, it's ridiculous when you're in a, an environment like this. People say, well, look over here. We got, we got Kim Ang over at the Marlins, man. Hey, hey, we love women. We want to see women advance. Kim Ang fought like hell to get where she was. She'd already been in Major League Baseball. She'd been with the Yankees working with, with Cashman and a lot of other teams as well. She got there for that. But you know what? You don't point to her and show me that Kim is, hey, look, see what we've done in baseball to advance women and to, to, you know, to look at them as equals? <laughs> That's not it. Okay, I'm high horse time here. I've, I've said what I had to say about this, but I do see a need for change. I do. I'm glad that Cohen said and did what he did, but what happens, what should have happened before and what needs to happen afterwards to baseball with that, they better step up. Yeah, and a change doesn't happen overnight. We're not going to see it right away, but I do believe change is happening. Of course, with Kim Ang now being the first female GM, we're seeing it everywhere, both sports and different parts of society, you know, politics, all, all that stuff. Change is coming, and it's really progressed over the last few years, both with you know this sexual harassment stuff with the Me Too movement that took over Hollywood and a bunch of big businesses. And it's good to see that all this change is coming to where hopefully, you know, everybody is treated the same like they should be. Thank you for saying that, Brandon. I mean, it's, that's where we see the future. That's where we hope everything is going to go on this. And I want to thank Steve Cohen for making such a quick decision. And, you know, he said, well, he had to. Well, maybe, maybe not. But I, I truly believe that he does want to put the best foot forward for the Mets. I'm, I'm hoping that. I would say, I hope that we never see this again. It'd be nice if we don't see it again, but I mean, if we do see it again, at at least we're, you know, weeding these sick guys out and getting them out of the sport and getting to a better place. That's it. Well, I I wish well to that young lady. And um, I'm sorry that she's no longer a part of the sports journalism family. And I'm hoping that other people out there, other women that are experiencing something like this can speak up, will speak up. And I think the Major League Baseball needs to ensure that anybody who does come out like this is there's no punitive action against them. You know, uh, that a reporter who had access to players in the front office and the locker room is suddenly just dismissed or she, you know, falls further down the line. I, I will hope that MLB, you know, stands up for these people. Well, folks, you know, it's you'd like to be able to talk about all the great and exciting things going on with baseball. We do have a lot going on now. And there's things, too, that need to have a hard look at it. And that's certainly the case here with Jared Porter. But... I do want to reflect, too, on the excitement of what we're looking at here with the 2021 season upcoming. Potentially fans in the stadiums certainly be watching on television and how many games we're going to have. A lot of unknowns here, Brandon. Yeah, it's a lot of unknowns. It's everything. Everything's unknown. We don't know exactly will fans be in the stands. That's day-to-day. We don't even know what the game's going to look like because MLB's still dragging their feet. and. 
we probably won't know until you know players are reporting. Then they'll come out with the rules. Well, we're excited about it anyway it goes, and I'm glad everybody had a chance to listen with us today. Just remember, you can always reach Brandon at... Sports Blitz Pod. At Sports Blitz Pod. Okay, I'll get it right one of these days. At Sports <laughs> Blitz Pod. And you can also find me, Mark, at The Baseball Biz. That's right, the at The Baseball Biz. So I know you probably listen to us maybe on Apple Podcast or iHeart, et cetera, and Google Podcasts. Amazon Music, even. We're out there everywhere, Stitcher. So I want to thank you guys for listening to, with, to us uh, there. If you see us there, so go ahead and sub- subscribe, You know, like us, follow us. We welcome your participation. Do not hesitate to drop us a line and let us know what you want to hear on the show as well. With that in mind, Brandon, I'd like to remind folks, too, we got some other exciting things coming up here in uh, future episodes. One of them, we will talk about minor leagues a little further and a little deeper. We've got a special Rays Up uh, edition coming out for all our Rays fans. And uh, we're just we're excited about the spring training season. So, everybody, I want to thank you all for joining us here today. And, Brandon, any final words? Uh, thanks for listening, and it's almost time for baseball to come back. Amen, brother. Okay, thanks, everybody. Jo- thank you again for joining us here at Baseball Biz, and we look forward to talking with you again real soon. Special thanks to X-Take R-U-X for the music rocking forward. And also thanks to our producer, Christina Hussey.